Welcome to Rise from the Ashes. Our podcast looks at various issues for families. We'll be talking with attorneys about personal and legal concerns having to do with divorce, custody, and parenting time. There are also a few topics about letting go, moving on, and new beginnings. Please keep in mind this podcast is only to inform and help to understand legal and personal issues as they relate to family law. It should not be considered as a replacement for a qualified family law attorney. When in doubt, please contact a professional. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Rise from the Ashes. I'm David Braddock. I'll be your host for this podcast. And we're talking today with Susan Mundahl, the senior attorney at Mundahl Law. How are you doing today, Susan? I'm great, David. Our topic today has to do with cohabitation. That is not cohabitation upon marriage. It's just living together outside of marriage and how it relates to property. Is that correct? What it relates to really is division of property when the couple splits up after never having gotten married. Where are we going with this? We've got a couple, they've gotten together, they're living together, and they're buying things, I would imagine. Really, what's happening a lot today is a young couple, and these are couples in the statute specifically talks about in contemplation of a sexual relationship. So if it's just two roommates living together, this law does not necessarily apply. So picture a young couple, they get together, and so maybe they'll buy some furniture together, or maybe one of them will move into the other's house. There's some agreement on, hey, I'm going to make the mortgage payments and you're going to pay for groceries. And so they go along and they just start mixing up all of their things together without thinking about the consequences. For example, let's go out and get a nice dining room set and get rid of this junky old table and chairs, something like that. Right. But the problem comes now all of a sudden there's a problem in paradise and the parties split up. Now they want to go back and one says, hey, I paid for part of that dining room set. Or they say, you know what? He promised that I was going to be on the house and he never put me on it. Or any of those issues where now the question of who owns the property is in question. So normally when there's a dispute over who has title to property and the property's worth less than 15000 the aggrieved parties can go to conciliation court or a regular court of law and ask the court to make a decision about whose property it is. We have a statute in Minnesota, and it's Minnesota Statute 513.075 that specifically addresses when parties have cohabitated in contemplation of a sexual relationship, but they are not married. It literally says that unless they had a signed and written contract, the court was without jurisdiction to hear their disagreement. Let's just go back to this fictitious dining room set that we were discussing. The couple purchases it. It's kind of nice. They spend a little bit more because they want to have nice stuff. They're breaking up now. And they say, well, don't you remember? I was going to buy the chairs and you were buying the table. Are you saying that if they go to court, the judge won't even listen to that? That's the general principle. Although it's kind of interesting the way you raise about this dining room set. Yeah. Now, let's say George. We've got George and Charlie because I don't want to define it by sex, because technically now that the LGBTQ community is able to marry, 
I'm assuming that if they have a relationship and contemplation of sexual relations without being married, I'm thinking that this statute now applies to them. But it hasn't been tested in court that I know of. But let's go back to the dining room set. Now, let's say George goes and puts the table on his credit card. Well, that's a written contract. So he's obligated to pay it and presumably does. And let's say Charlie goes and she or he now pays for the chairs on their credit card. In essence, there's another contract. And both of those contracts would say then that that property belongs to the person who put it on their credit card. It can be a fact question, but the bottom line is, if there is not some kind of written contract, if it is only an oral contract, the statute simply says, no, it is not enforceable by the courts. So they won't even pay any attention to it if it doesn't have some contractual arrangement like what you illustrated with the credit cards. That's obvious, I guess. You can connect those back to the individuals that paid for those individual items. I get it. Right. The fun part is is sort of the history back behind the creation of what we call an anti-palimony law. And I thought maybe the listeners today might be kind of interested in the fun story. Okay. What's the story? Who's in the story? Anyone we know? (laughs) Well, I doubt anyone listening to this probably knows. But way back in the 60s, Lee Marvin, who was a well-known actor at that time, he mostly did Westerns, didn't he? Yeah, I remember that guy. He did some of those escape movies like Stalag 17 and a lot of Westerns, like you said. He was a tough guy in those movies. He was a tough guy and apparently a hard drinking guy. Anyway, so he hooked up with a gal, Michelle. They were together for a number of years. Sounds like it may have been about 15 years. And she even changed her last name to Marvin to be his last name. Were they married? No, they were never married. Oh, they never married. And this was in California. Okay. And so what happened is he went and dumped her and decided to marry someone else. And he had started to pay her some money for support to sort of help her get back on her feet. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she got teed off and she filed suit against him. It's known as the famous palimony suit. The idea being they were pals, Ah. you know, but alimony. Well, that kind of goes with our George and Charlie story in some ways. It exactly does. In that case, what it said is, but for a $3 marriage license, she was essentially his wife. And so she wanted half of his earnings because California is a community property state. And the court said no, but the court did award her $104,000 and they called it rehabilitation. But it was then known in the press as palimony. And so a number of states, Minnesota including, then developed these anti-palimony laws to make it really clear to folks that no, If you're going to be in a relationship and not be married, then you don't get all the rights and privileges of a married person. So that's evidently why the legislature had to devise the laws that would negate these palimony situations. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, if you consider that back then, probably most of the laws were being created by a group of males to protect their brethren from being sued by their girlfriends for support after they leave them. Well, that illustrates the whole palimony issue really well. And if folks want to Google the Lee Marvin case, that will kind of help. What about in the case of the purchase of a home by both parties? If both of the parties go and enter into 
a contract to buy a home, then you have the situation where they are now tenants in common on that home. And when parties are married, it's considered a joint tenancy. And that language would be in their deed as to what type of interest they have in the home. But in any case, understand it is a written contract. So this statute would not apply. But in a marriage, the way you divide the property is in a divorce action. For parties who are not married, it would be a partition action. That just simply means how do we divide up the physical property? Because if you think about it, a property is unique. So it's not like you could just cut the house in half. What is generally done in cases like that? Well, if you have to force a partition action as you're literally forcing the sale of the home, and then it is a legal action as to how the money from the sale of the property will be divided. Are there any mitigating factors that would determine the advantage of one party over another? Or is it just have to be straight equal in a case like that? Well, now you're getting into an area of law that I really don't take part in. I haven't even seen one in a while because usually people hire attorneys who handle real estate matters to do that for them. Just suffice it to say that there may be if parties can prove in the same way that married couples, if any of them had put in premarital money on it, if there were separate assets used, non-marital assets used for down payment and such, they might still have those kind of rights to have an unequal distribution. Again, I would recommend if they have that situation, they go talk to an attorney who has experience in the area of real estate. So we've got a very clear anti-palimony law here in Minnesota. Do you have any advice for couples that may be considering living together and getting involved like this? Yes. In fact, the statute actually even covers folks who are already living together. So this is advice for all unmarried couples. Okay. And the advice is, number one, if you're going to buy something together, put it in writing. And it needs to be a writing between the two of you. And I would say, I think you should have it notarized by at least two witnesses. Just set out the agreement on exactly what is covered that in the event of a breakup, that property will be divided in a certain way. And likewise, if you're living together, make sure you keep your receipts so that if it comes down to who gets the guitar or something, make sure you have the receipt showing that you bought the guitar. So George and Charlie, there is hope. There is hope for George and Charlie. If they're still together, they could do that signed agreement on how the dining room table and chairs are going to be divided in the case of a termination of their relationship. And if it is in writing and signed by the parties, that is a contract that the court would then be able to enforce. All right. Thank you again very much, Susan. You bet, David. Have a great day. You are listening to Rise from the Ashes, the podcast channel that takes a careful look at all things having to do with legal procedure within the family law process. Rise from the Ashes is sponsored by Mundal Law, who specializes in assisting families and individuals through the legal process with respect, dignity, and caring. Mundal Law is dedicated to helping people to solve their legal problems. You can visit the Mundall Law website at mundalllaw.com or call to schedule a consultation with one of their qualified family law attorneys. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters.